if you or a loved one gets hurt, you'll want a faster road to recovery. At Leia Healthcare's Urgent Care Clinics, you'll be seen by a consultant-led team in 60 minutes or less for injuries including breaks, burns and bubumps. Switch now at leiahealthcare.ie. Always a beat ahead for you and your family with urgent care in 60 minutes or less. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Urgent care clinics available to all aged 12 months and over. Wellbeing benefits available to Leia Healthcare members. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, Ireland's biggest drone delivery company looks set to cover Dublin by the end of the year. MANA boss Bobby Healy tells us about his goal to be one of the biggest companies in the world. We want to win big here. We don't want to be one player of a 500 different drone companies. We want to be the biggest thing the world has ever seen. We want to be in every single suburban household on the planet. To do that, you start with things that are high adoption, high frequency products. You go straight to the coffees and the takeaway food. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Heir to the brewing and banking fortune, Jennifer Guinness lived a quiet, idealistic life, residing in a luxury mansion with her family on Hoth Hill. The Guinness home snuggles attractively into Hoth Head in one of Dublin's most affluent areas. Their peace was brutally broken on Tuesday at 4.20pm. In April 1986, however, a traumatic incident would catapult her name into the national headlines, resulting in one of the biggest manhunts in the history of the state. For the rest of her life, Mrs Guinness will remember Tuesday, April the 8th last as the Day of the Jackal. For, as she entered her house, three armed men forced their way in after her. Gardaí officially say they have an open mind on this kidnap. But most signs point to a criminal, not a paramilitary gang. I'm Fianon Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Paul Williams, special correspondent with the Irish Independent, to discuss the dramatic kidnapping of Jennifer Guinness and the snowball effect it would have on the Irish crime scene for decades to come. Paul, the kidnapping of Jennifer Guinness, it was a very high-profile crime for, for many reasons. But why were the Guinnesses specifically targeted? <clears throat> this is back in the 1980s, Fiona, and um, at a time when kidnapping was a major problem uh, in terms of organised crime and terrorism, particularly terrorism. Jennifer Guinness was married to John Henry Guinness, who was the managing director of Guinness Mahan Bank, but he was also part of the famous Guinness family. And they were a very, very wealthy family. Now, in the 1980s, remember, Ireland uh, was cash-strapped. We were an exceptionally poor country, but we had a small, very wealthy elite. They were big into yachting. Um, They lived in a magnificent home, uh, the lovely estate, drove the best of cars for the so-called showbiz or high society pages of the time. They would have been mentioned quite a bit. Uh, and they had three kids and they were very well known in their local area and all of that. So, you know, if you were trying to select a target, it wouldn't have been hard to find them. And at the time, 
what we now know as tiger kidnappings or just plain kidnappings were were quite popular with criminal gangs and with the, the paramilitaries. The people who introduced the thesis on the evolution of organised crime is that the first organised crime gang really in Ireland was a paramilitary gang, the Provisional IRA and other iterations of the Republican movement before that. And they very much, um, from the 1970s, introduced kidnapping as a method of raising funds. But it was also designed as well Apart from raising funds for the provisional IRA, it was also designed to undermine our economy. So back in 1970, Thomas Neidemeyer, who was kidnapped uh, and murdered, Brian Keenan, top provo in the country, a hero in the Republican movement and in Sinn Féin, he was the suspect for murdering Thomas Neidemeyer. He was a German industrialist. Tita Herrema was kidnapped here in the Republic. Dr. Herrema was expected here this morning shortly after 8 o'clock, but he never arrived. His car was found 100 yards from his home, the key still in the ignition. Approximately three hours later, phone calls were received by the Dutch Embassy in Dublin. A girl with a Northern Ireland accent said that they had kidnapped Dr. Herrema. That led to one of the biggest and most dramatic sieges we'd ever seen. The army surrounded a house in Monasterevan and it went on for weeks. And there were two provosts involved in that. Ben Dunn was kidnapped and then released and was believed that a ransom had been paid from, again by the provisional IRA. Ben Dunn Jr., the supermarket chain owner, was taken on the border by a heavily armed provisional IRA gang. A priest intervened as a mediator and Mr Dunn was eventually released unharmed. Then the most notorious one of all was Don Tidy. When he was kidnapped in Raffarnham, he ended up in my hometown of Ballinamore in County Leitrim where a soldier and a guard were murdered by the provisional IRA gang who were holding Don Tidy. So by this stage, kidnapping was well established as a method of raising funds. So it was always inevitable that the criminal fraternity, who always followed the lead of the IRA, were going to get interested in doing kidnapping. And that's what happened here. Tell us what happened then on the night that the Guinness family were targeted at their home. The gang of three men burst in. They were armed with nosy machine guns. They had grenades. They had pistols. They held the family hostage at gunpoint. The kidnapped victim herself opened the door to the three armed callers who forced their way in. As for the gang itself, they seemed surprisingly unprepared, even untrained for the action. They brought no tie-up ropes and used neckties from the house. John Guinness came home while this was going on and he was taken to another room and he was threatened and he was told that basically, if you want to see your wife back again, you're going to have to pay us two million. When Mr. Guinness arrived home from work, he was taken into the dining room, and there the kidnappers made their first mistake. When he grabbed a gun, the colonel struck him on the nose and fired a shot. Just below a painting of his grandmother, the bullet lodged in the wall, and when retrieved by Gardee, was to be one of their most important clues. Now, initially, I think they were talking about kidnapping one of Guinness's daughters, and warned him, obviously, not to talk to the police. So Jennifer Guinness is taken away. She effectively stepped in uh, because the gang was threatening to, to take her daughter. And she Gillian, said, no, daughter Gillian, she yeah. said, no, take me instead. Yeah, yeah. It was straightforward. They were looking for cash to release this man's wife. The gang forced their hostage into a car and headed north towards Swords, leaving a demand for a ransom of two million pounds and the code word Jackal. The people behind this were very, very well-known criminals. They were brothers Michael and John Cunningham and Anthony Kelly, their associate. They're from Ballyfermot. 
in Dublin and well-established in organised crime by the 1980s. 1980s, organised crime is becoming well-established. It started in the late 60s, early 70s, and, and they've been career criminals. John Cunningham, who was the leader of the gang, known as the Colonel, he always wanted to pull off the big one, like a lot of criminals do and gangsters do. And this big one was going to set him up for life. Like two million, what is that equivalent of now? 20 million? Mm. Um, and he was going to float off into the sunset with his wife and his uh, stepdaughter. And that was crime. He was going to pay for him and he was finished with it. You know, they all have this pipe dream. So they actually treated her very well because there was one comment afterwards from Jennifer Guinness. She never really spoke much about it subsequently, but she did say that, you know, they were really nice fellas. They were quite nice to her to say, look, sorry about this, but sort of like thing, we have to do this and we have to put you through this appalling ordeal. But it was Jennifer Guinness emerged as a heroine of all of this because she showed incredible fortitude and courage. She maintained her dignity all the way through. Apparently somebody said she she, was, she got that gutsy from yachting because you know, when you're out there on the high waves you need a bit of bottle to deal with all of the, the stress of yachting. The isolation, the solitude, the, the yeah. constant threat. Yeah. And uh, so she was... I think psychologically she sort of tried to build a sort of over the next eight days a bit of a relationship with them and she well thankfully survived. The gang managed to elude the Gardaí for eight days mm-hmm. but this wasn't the case of just holding up in one location. No she was held in a number of locations she was brought to County Meath to a cottage down there. Kelly had rented this bungalow and it was here that the gang brought Mrs Guinness on the night of the kidnapping. They kept her prisoner here for two days, unknown to the woman who owned it. I thought there might be short of fire and I came up to see them. And I left fire and then another day she was here and they asked me, to ask us up for tea actually, myself and Ola, you know. I went in and we had tea with them and that time she was in the room I believe, you know. In the bedroom? Yeah. So and in fact they really uh, did nothing and said nothing that would have aroused your suspicions? No, 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 no way. They're actually, I thought were very nice fellas. <laughs> she was also brought to Arbor Hill, if I remember correctly, and then she was brought to Raffarnham. And ironically, when she was brought to a house in Raffarnham, the guardie, local guardie, had reason to check out this house. And Aubrey Steadman was a famous detective. He went into this house, and Michael Cunningham, John Cunningham's brother, was sitting there, and he didn't recognise him at first. And... They weren't quite happy with what they heard back, but they couldn't take any action. But little did they know that literally Jennifer had just been brought into that house just some hours beforehand. So then they moved her from there to a flat on Waterloo Road. It's very much hiding in plain sight. I mean, Waterloo oh, Road yeah. is in the heart of, of old grand houses of that area around Dublin 2, Dublin 4. So it, it's not as if they were holding out somewhere out in some rural area. No, but also the cops at this stage. There was a very good serious crime squad at the time run by a detective inspector, Jerry McCarrick, who is no longer with us, a brilliant policeman. And they reckoned after a while they began to suss there's something going with Cunningham's. Forensic analysis of the bullet which had been fired into the wall of the dining room showed that it was homemade and that, together with special branch inquiries, convinced detectives they were dealing with criminals, not subversives. Furthermore, Gillian Guinness had noticed that one of the gang had a stiff finger, an observation that was to prove vital in identifying the gang responsible for her mother's abduction. For Garda inquiries showed that one of the Cunningham brothers had a stiff finger. Furthermore, they and an accomplice, Anthony Kelly, were missing from their usual haunts in Dublin. They haven't been seen around. They're up to something. So eventually, it led them 
to Waterloo Road through this guy, a fella called Brian McNichols, who had helped Cunningham to find different premises to hold Jennifer Guinness in. And it led them then to Waterloo Road. The, the cops called to the house eight days later. Guns were produced. There were a number of shots fired. And immediately the guards called in all the heavyweights and surrounded this house. It was a very, very dramatic scene. So this negotiation went on for several hours. Cunningham did the talking and at times it got quite emotional. They knew very early on the cops that reckon Cunningham is not going to kill this woman. But he threatened as the thing came to a head and she sort of was very brave and, and sort of encouraged them. Why destroy your lives? They decided to give up. But at one stage, Cunningham said that he'd taken a grenade and pulled a pin out, a hand grenade, and he was going to end it all. But luckily enough, he put his hands up, and so did Michael, and so did Anthony Kelly, the three of them. But just after he was arrested, he was asked, why did he do it? And he said, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't think that we were going to get the money. Two million was only a starting figure. It was going to be the big one, but it all went wrong. Jennifer Guinness emerged from it as the hero of the plot. She was incredibly stoic and courageous. And she did an interview with Gay Byrne at the time at the Late Late Show, but she never really spoke about it after that. Now, Cunningham is in prison, but he manages to abscond. Well, Cunningham is brought before the courts and he gets 17 years because he's the leader of the gang and his brother and Kelly got 14 each. So they're sent to Portleash Maximum Security Prison. Kinahan and Cunningham, they were all part of the same cohort, a small group of major criminals that were emerging. But they would have done time together. Like, for example, Kinahan was in Portleash along with John Cunningham. So they were very close friends. And it was probably that friendship grew closer when they were in prison together. And then eventually, by 1996, John Cunningham is coming to the end of his prison term and he's sent to Shelton Abbey in Wicklow, where other major villains... Remember, there was a big clear out of the General's gang in the 80s. So all of these villains got big, big time. So they're all coming to the end of their time in prison. And this, of course, is where we see the massive shift by organized crime to drugs. And it all happens in that period from the early 90s onwards. Uh, So they were out one day, as you do, Cunningham and a prison officer and a fellow called Eamon Daly. Eamon Daly was a key player of Martin Cahill's gang and in fact would go on to become, and still is, a major international drug trafficker and a major partner in business at the Kinahan cartel. So they were out and they were in a pub in Avoca having a few pints and somebody spotted them. I think it was the governor of the prison spotted them. So clearly there's going to be big trouble over this, a complete breach of prison regulations. The prison officer is immediately suspended, but Daly and Cunningham are brought back to Shelton Abbey that night and they know they're in for big trouble because they're going to be returned to the general prison population. Cunningham's stepdaughter was about to get married. This is now 1996. This is August into September, just after Veronica Gearn was murdered. So the world is on fire at this stage in Dublin in organised crime. And Cunningham decides he's not going to be put back in the prison. He wants to be at his daughter's wedding, even though he could never be at it now. So he says he wants to do a runner. So he disappeared. How he disappeared was he went to his old friend, John Gilligan. The next sequence of events had a profound influence on the future of organised crime in Ireland. He goes to his best mate and he says, I need to get out. John Gilligan, first of all, he puts him in a house in Tala 
And he gets him out of the country, he goes to Amsterdam. Gilligan at this stage has spent all of his time in Amsterdam since Veronica was murdered. He's associated with a guy called Christy Kenahan. Christy has been over there since the 90s, early 90s. Now, Cunningham and Kenahan are also mates as well. Cunningham and Kenahan start in the business together and Kenahan is shown on the ropes. And that's fortuitous because within a year, Christy Kenahan's father died and Christy comes back. He's wanted at this stage for check fraud, uh, for handling stolen uh, checks. And he comes over to Ireland to his father's funeral and he's nicked rested, brought in uh, to serve the rest of his, he had a, a sentence of two or three or four years, right? He was sent to Port Leash. And I say it was fortuitous because by that stage, Cunningham had got a handle on how the business worked. Then an incident occurred in November 1999 that was to change the whole course of this story. Remember, he hasn't been seen in Ireland since 1986. So late 1999, a delivery of pita bread arrives from Amsterdam to a warehouse up on the border and it's accidentally bursted open. And when it opens, they find a huge amount of cannabis, but also a very large arsenal of something like 20 plus pistols and machine guns. So this becomes a very serious matter. It came from Amsterdam. Ultimately, the guards here set up a major investigation. And they'd get on to their colleagues in Holland to get help. Now, the Dutch at the time were swamped by drug investigations because Amsterdam's the hub of organized crime and drug trade in the world. They eventually convinced them to get involved because of the firearms, and the firearms is a big concern to everybody. They identified this guy, a Dutch criminal called Peter Ling. Peter Ling was laundering money for criminal gangs, but he was using a bureau de change in Amsterdam, which was a big thing at the time. And he laundered millions through one Bureau de Change. He was already on the radar with the Dutch financial authorities, like the, the forerunner to the cab and all of that. They link back this Peterbread shipment to him as well. So the cops are watching him in, in Amsterdam in 2000. It was a really complex and really intensive investigation. They bugged and followed them everywhere they went. And this guy, a mystery unknown male, turns up to meet Peter Ling at a car park one night, Dutch police are watching, saying we can't work who this guy is. We've never seen him before. He's not part of the picture. They photograph him. They put a bit of a tail on him just to work out who he is. They call the guards in Dublin. The guards in Dublin have a look at the pictures and says, oh my God, that's our one of our number one targets. That's one John Cunningham. He's known as the Colonel. And then the, that investigation takes on a whole new life of its own. Ultimately, they discover that Cunningham has been involved in putting together huge shipments of drugs, ecstasy, cannabis, cocaine. Cocaine is growing at the time as a trade, and also firearms, pistols, machine pistols. And it is estimated that over a period of two years after Christy Kennan was arrested and put back in custody in Ireland, that Cunningham supervised the export of at least 200 million pounds worth of drugs and an unknown quantity of guns scores of guns to criminal gangs in the UK. Ultimately, the police move in in 2000, arrest Cunningham, bust the whole operation. Several other criminals in Ireland are caught. They estimated that the drugs that had come into Ireland was about 150 to 200 million alone. As I said, they were pumping stuff into the UK market as well. And it was then and only then that they realised just how big this organisation had become and the colonel was the man at the helm. 
Where is John Cunningham now? And is he still linked to the Kinnans? It's hard to know because they've become very, very, very secretive, obviously. Cunningham was busted and got time in Holland. They wouldn't give them the kind of time to get here, five, six years. But when he was finished that sentence, he was then sent back to Dublin to serve the rest of his sentence here. And he got out of prison around 2006. By the time he comes out in 2006, the Kinahan cartel is well and truly established. They've moved to Spain. Christie looks after his best mate. Lots of money for him there. Uh, a nice big villa to live in. What happened after that was that they were all arrested as part of this Operation Shovel, a big international, much vaunted investigation, which went nowhere. But Cunningham was pulled into custody at that time as well while the investigation was going. But he was subsequently released and never charged with any offence. He stayed with the gang. We definitely know he stayed with the gang for a number of other years after that. But the interesting thing is that, well, apart from Christie Sr., Christie stayed out of the feud that blew up with the Hutches. There was never any mention of John Cunningham. And my suspicion is that John Cunningham, he's a big age now, that he's actually pulled back from all of this, that he's retired. And my thanks to Paul Williams. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Keen O'Brien, with sound by Rory Bones and John Smith. Archive clips from RTE Archives, Sconnell, BBC News and the Irish Independent. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Hungry for change in your life? Feed your ambition with Board Bia Talent Academy's Insights and Innovation Programme. Get some incredible food for thought with a fully funded master's from DCU Business School. Learn from world-class innovators with placements in Irish food, drink and horticulture companies. And do it all while bringing home the bacon with a generous monthly bursary. Sound like your cup of tea? Nourish your career prospects by visiting boardbia.ie forward slash talent academy. Applications closing soon.